and welcome to the Just Interesting People podcast. My name is Rosie and my pronouns are she, her, and I'm here with my co-host and husband Jeremy and his pronouns are he, him. In today's episode, we are talking to Yanti. Yanti grew up in Australia with Indonesian parents and she shares with us how this multicultural upbringing impacted in her life. Yanti has been a successful lawyer for 17 years in multiple countries. However, after a midlife crisis, as she calls it, she made a huge change in her life and became a yoga instructor and studio owner in New York City. Not a very classic career path, but Yanti is now traveling around the world teaching yoga and karate with her husband. At the end of the episode, we also talk about how, during the pandemic, by simply reaching out to friends around the globe, she ended up putting together a group of more than 100 women to share the stories and support each other about the domestic violence experiences. Enjoy the episode. Hi, Auntie. Welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much for being here today. I am so excited. Um, yeah, welcome. Thank you, Rosie. It's lovely to see you and finally meet you. Yeah. <laughs> seeing you on Instagram is not good enough. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, thank you, Yanti, for being with us today on the show. Of course. We've been chatting for, I think it's been a couple of years mm. now, that we've been kind of working together, but remotely. We've never met in person, no, no. but throughout many conversations that we had, most of the time business-related, I've mm. got to know you uh, a little bit more personally. And, and yeah, I think we're going to have a very interesting conversation because you... I think you lived many lives in your lifetime already. You, yeah, you've been wearing really. many hats. <laughs> <laughs> and, and I think there is a lot to, to unpack. So we'll do our best in, in an hour to go through as much as we can. Sure. Uh, but yeah, but to start the conversation, actually, Rosie has a, a fun question for you. Yeah, I wanted to ask about your name, Yanti. It's the first time I've ever heard the name Yanti. So I wanted to know where it came from, if you know anything about the origins of the name, why you were called that. It's, it's unusual oh, for me a- anyway. It's a fantastic question, Rosie, because a lot of people do ask me, you know, what does uh, what does Yanti mean? Does it have a meaning or, you know, how did your parents come upon the name, etc., etc.? But actually it's, uh, it's from uh, an old Javanese uh, word because my parents are from Indonesia. They wanted, and there's a, a tradition in the family, to choose a... Uh, a name or you have a part of a name of an ancestor mm-hmm. and it comes from a um, someone deep deep in uh, in the past obviously my, uh, a combination of my dad's side and my mother's side but the word yanti is actually uh, a reference to the concept of contentedness so con- mm-hmm. uh, if you're content and you know I always ask myself that question have I ever got have I gotten to the point in my life where I feel I can say I'm true to my name, you know, and I think ultimately because everyone talks about happiness being the ultimate aim or the ultimate in uh, what you can achieve in life and what that definition is, uh, I do feel that, and I was talking to a friend about it the other day, that I've got to the point in my life where I'm comfortable who I am, the skin I'm in, you know, the body I have. The, the so-called skills and abilities and accepting everything with all the flaws, you know, all the shortcomings and all the limitations. Uh, and I do sort of feel I'm always there in the so-called contented stage. So that's a, pa- uh, a fabulous entry into yeah. our, our talk today. Actually. Interesting. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> yeah. So just to carry on on the topic, could you tell us a little bit about your, your origins and, yeah. and where you grew up and stuff like that? Because yeah. I know you've been in many places. <laughs> 
Yeah, when I uh, when I chat to someone, someone asks me where you're from, strange accent, you know, a little bit mid-Pacific, but we're not quite sure because you sound a little English, but you also could be Australian. What is it, you know? And I always say, oh, do you have, do you have 20 minutes? Because because it takes a little bit of time to get into the, uh, the interesting backstory. But my parents are Indonesian, and they immigrated to Australia in the 1950s. And... Uh, Theirs was a very, very interesting story because there was uh, some of the very few Asians who arrived in Australia in that period, you know, in that time where there were very few uh, people of color, if you like, mm. aside from the native Australians who are the Aboriginals, of course, uh, native Australians. Uh, and so for my parents arriving in Australia in the 1950s, it was quite an interesting experience of um, some degree of racism because, you know, you had what we call the uh, uh, the White Australia policy. Mm -hmm. And so there was a, an, a, an actual, uh, I might want to say an active policy against anyone who wasn't so-called white. Uh, and when I speak to my brown and black friends here in the United States, I, I actually feel a great connection to their... Um, their situation because my parents and I uh, talk about it or they talked about my dad's already passed away but my mom's still around and and we talk about it as a matter of course that this is this was our experience this was our cultural mm. experience in Australia growing up and it was you know it was this idea of uh, tolerance and growing that tolerance for both sides of the so-called story you know yeah. so uh so that was the, the the story about my parents growing up uh, and they arrived in their 20s. So they were, you could say, young adults and, yeah. and really living most of their lives in a foreign country. And so as uh, as as a young person in Australia, I, do, I grew up feeling very bicultural. And it's interesting, my niece uh, interviewed me recently for a school project she was doing and it was about this immigrant experience it was about mm. being other and being different in a land that you may feel very very close to a very a, a great kinship but there's always this sense of sort of sitting on the fence and looking at, at both sides of right. uh of the of worlds so bridging mm. both worlds so you can look at it positively and i always have that i'm a bridge builder uh, because I have insights into both sides or many, many multiple multiple uh, vistas or landscapes. And so I have a, uh, a compassion, a sense of, of empathy for people who regard themselves as marginalized or disenfranchised or mm. some, somewhat uh, misunderstood, shall we say. Mm. Yeah. So it sort of set me up for, for that uh, wanting to understand other cultures. And that's yeah. why I'm, I'm very, very interested in languages and foreign languages and just travel like you guys are which i love <laughs> i know you can identify so yeah. when you when you were growing up um how was your your cultural connection with on one side growing up born in australia right so you're yes, born in australia yeah. and growing up in an australian culture yeah. but when you were going back home were you diving more into indonesian culture did your parents keep and 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 show you their origin so you you knew where they were coming from you know that's a great question and it was a question uh that i practiced <laughs> answering for my niece last week when she she interviewed me because 
Uh, one thing I have to credit my parents with is really seeing the importance of maintaining your authenticity and your cultural background. Mm. And uh, when we were growing up, there was a very strong or a budding community, Indonesian community and Asian community, uh, that uh, focused on festivals, on events that uh, revolved around the so-called Indonesian uh, Muslim, but also sort of, let's say, cultural calendars. So events regarding, you know, the equivalent of the celebrations of uh, Hindu, or sorry, um, mostly Muslim festivals, but but cultural sort of dance and music and, and all of this sort of thing that, that happened as a matter of course during the calendar year. And we had this experience in Australia and I grew up in, in a place called, in a city called Melbourne. And then uh, when we went back to Indonesia regularly, which we did every year, we spent mm. a lot of time learning about the things that perhaps we didn't grow up with on a daily basis. So right. uh, I have to give a lot of kudos and credit to my parents for you know, really instilling that sense of pride and uh, understanding of all the cultural aspects of uh, of being Indonesian or being half Indonesian, meaning yeah. you know uh, ethnically Indonesian, but also having another another uh, country or culture that where you're very um, tied with. So mm. yeah, I I, um, I love that aspect of growing up. To be honest, so that was yeah. that's an excellent question. And yeah, yeah. no, but yeah, it's, it's interesting what you said. I think it it all depends and it all relies on your parents because I, I grew, mm. my, my dad my dad is Portuguese born in Portugal and migrated to France when he was 12 years old uh -huh. his, his parents and I was brought up in a very French household like mm -hmm. I, I once in a while we have like Portuguese food or whatever but mm -hmm. I wasn't taught Portuguese for example or I wasn't really immersed into the Portuguese I culture mm -hmm. because also I think my grandparents wanted to escape Portugal because mm -hmm. what was going on at the time was not great I so I think maybe they wanted to detach themselves oh, mm -hmm. you know from that mm -hmm. uh, but yes but it's interesting because yeah, yeah ultimately all depends on what your parents and want, mm -hmm. want to Yeah. yeah, want to teach you and want to tell you mm -hmm. about it. So it's, it's it's really good that they've done that for you yeah. and that you're going back also regularly. That's fascinating. And is that the same for you, Rosie? I was just so curious. No, <laughs> my parents are both English. Like, yeah. I've just got a normal, <laughs> not yeah. normal family. I don't know, but just, like, nothing... I don't know, yeah. Yeah, just, just same English. country. <laughs> I think you were, I think you were um, probably Portuguese or something. Maybe you were French in another life, a previous lifetime. And so... <laughs> Maybe. So hence Maybe. your wanderlust. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. Oh, that's so cool. <laughs> so yeah. in, um, so I know that, you know, in, in Australia, so you grew up in Australia. Mm -hmm. uh, how was, was it difficult then for you to, because I guess, you know, when you're born in a country, um, I'm assuming that you feel Australian, you feel mm -hmm. attached to where you're born. Yeah. But did you feel that you're still not one of them, quote unquote, mm -hmm. because I don't know, the way you look because you mm -hmm. have obviously Indonesian mm -hmm. uh, traits and stuff like that mm -hmm. or you were you or you always felt accepted as I'm an Australian person and people yeah. welcomed you that's a, a, a wonderful question because it comes back to this sense of uh, being um, a bridge builder or sitting on the fence and being able to have uh, visual on on many camps if you if you like And so when people get to know me, and this was the case during uh, growing 
through the school system, through university, through everything in Australia, that once people uh, see me open my mouth, they know that I have perfect English. Oftentimes people say, oh, my gosh, your English is so good. (laughs) And then I'd say, "Uh, yeah, I was born here. So, you know, okay, I look different and I am clearly ethnically from a different, you know, group. I'm Indonesian, proud of that. But, you know, what's wrong with being multilingual? You know, I I grew up... uh, understanding perfect Indonesian. My Indonesian oral comprehension is very, very good. Then I, um, you know, I learned it at university and uh, fast forward, I actually uh, practiced law in Indonesia. So you had to have very good business Indonesian. So uh, I, I got to a very, very good level of Indonesian. My Indonesian is not so good today because I don't practice it every uh, yeah. Every week or every uh, moment, but uh, but the point is, I got to that very good level, and so I uh, I also have cousins who live in France, and in order to communicate with my cousins, we had to speak this sort of interesting jumble, blended uh, concoction of a little bit of yeah. Indonesian, a bit of English, a bit of uh, French, and then my French got really good because I I was posted to to London, and I was doing work in London, Paris, so you know when I. Th- I sort of think in, I used to think and dream in French, you know, in the, in the old days, and over probably 10 years ago. Um, I have to practice my French now in order to be able to get up to, to proper speed. But, you know, I always grew up thinking uh, we're multilingual, you know, so it sort of bridges so many uh, supposed gaps in people's understanding. And so if people can get past how I look, then it, and that I look other, then they see, oh, okay, what language do you want to speak? You know, and so it's, uh, yeah. it's, it goes beyond what you look like because I think there's a tendency for a lot of people to want to pigeonhole you and say you are this type of person because you look these ways and, you know, they, you check those boxes in terms of uh, stereotypes or profiling, you know. Uh, mm. And so I try to get beyond that and that, uh, yeah, that it is, it's just case by case, really. Everyone mm. should look at yeah people as individuals versus uh uh stereotypes yeah and the label you know what i mean yeah Yeah. (laughs) no no yeah totally yeah Mm. so i'm trying to think of the few words that we know from indonesian hati hati yeah well good laba laba (laughs) adabuaya something like that crocodile no i think or where were you were you in a in a uh in a nature reserve (laughs) <laughs> we, we went for our yeah we, we went for our we, we went in in the jungle in Borneo uh, for like a week so laba laba I think was spider maybe yeah, no? yeah. good memory yeah. <laughs> oh my god I've forgotten all, all of those <laughs> yeah. yeah 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 so I mean um, even being able to speak a few words just yeah is like an icebreaker <laughs> in many conversations you know you, you'd be the a real hit in any kind of dinner party or or we've got the essentials covered (laughs) yeah what's that we've i said we've got the essentials we don't know how to say hi and goodbye but we know (laughs) spider crocodile whatever it was yeah Pagi, Pagi, Salamat, Salamat Pagi. Pagi. Yeah. That was good morning, no? Oh, yeah. Something like that. Oh, yeah. I remember so a few things. You're showing me. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> I don't remember any of these. <laughs> awesome. Um, <laughs> so did I answer your question? So you, or, no, yeah, you did. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah. So, so then in Australia, you studied law. Yes. 
And eventually you ended up going back to Indonesia yes. to, to work in a law firm. Yeah. So can you tell us a, bit, a, a little bit about that? Because yeah. I feel, you know, always, especially maybe for immigrant families, mm. there is always this dream, right? Of like the kid becoming a lawyer mm. or, or like a doctor. Yeah, like there right. is always this sense of accomplishment yeah. if as an immigrant mm -hmm. you, you were able to put your kid through university and, and reach I don't know the high level of society you know if yeah, I want to be in a way. Know, it's a it's a very um it's a, a typical sort of immigrant uh, story in the sense that you know my parents were very much about education and they were highly disciplined so it was a very strict household and, and I'm not mm. saying that was a bad thing but they were very much focused on you know get good grades at school and do your best and all good good values and and principles and ethics but um, that pushed me wrongly or rightly into law because my grandfather was a judge And we had many people oh. in our family who were lawyers and some prominent lawyers in, in Jakarta and in Indonesia. And they were role models for, for me. My sister, Wati, who's my twin, she also did law school with me. And we were very, very inspired by talking about ancestors, talking about people within the family who were just uh, wonderful uh, examples of what is possible when you fulfill your potential and when you do... Uh, when you are true to yourself and you speak to your skills and your abilities. And and so looking at my grandfather, who we really loved and adored, uh, uh, yeah, it was a, was a, it was a great uh, aspirational thing. You know, it, it, it made sense. I, was, I really loved school. I loved university. I loved my teachers and I had great relationships with them. And so it made sense that if you got accepted into law school that you would do law, you know. And at that time yeah. there was no not a, an emphasis on uh, other options. I think I was considering journalism. I was also considering, I really loved writing. So I was considering uh, that sort of uh, that sort of work or, or that tra training. And, uh, but ultimately I got accepted into a law at a very nice, very good university. And I was very, um, I felt really buoyed up by that being accepted into good schools. And, uh, and I really enjoyed Uh, law, but something in the back of my mind told me that it was I was a little bit more creative and possibly entrepreneurial, and so mm. I stuck with it. <laughs> I stuck with it for 17 years, uh, wow. and uh, and as you rightly said, you know, I I was I actually got posted to Indonesia because there was something in me too, which wanted mm. to discover where my roots really were and I wanted to go back to Indonesia there was that wanderlust I'm sure both of you identify with that you know wanting to travel wanting to explore what's beyond your normal immediate environment and you wanted to um, and one wants to not everybody but in my case I, I definitely wanted to to just uncover what what was there for me to uh, to look into in terms of adventuring into the history of, of my family So that's why I was I, I applied and I was ultimately posted to uh, to Indonesia and I I worked there for almost 10 years. So from uh, 93 right through to the end of that decade and uh, and then I was posted to England to London after that. But it was um, yeah it was just a very exciting time to realize. You know you talked earlier about. Uh, people not quite understanding you and thinking 
you look a certain way, therefore you should behave a certain way. So even in Indonesia, it was yeah. funny. I got a lot of expatriates. I worked with a lot of Westerners in the context of the law firms that I, um, uh, I was employed by. And they would look at me and they'd say, oh, my God, you've got such good English. You know, again, thinking that they expected mm-hmm. Bahasa yeah. or the Indonesian language to come out of my mouth. And so they, they were very surprised and confused by this. And similarly, you know, my local uh, Indonesian colleagues would say, Yati, why do you walk so fast? You know, you're walking down the, the <laughs> corridors of the law firm, really, like, with, like I normally would down the main streets of New York City, right? And, uh, and they just couldn't get it. They didn't understand what, what is going on with this woman, you know. <laughs> so there are, uh, again, profiling or... or um, stereotypes I suppose that people had yeah. you look a certain way, way therefore your behavior should be a certain way and that was back mm. in the 90s so we don't have the we didn't back then have the internet so we didn't have the exposure to so much information that we do have today and mm. and the diversity that exists and people see other people's lives uh, in with such immediacy on the on social media uh, and have exposure yeah. to so much today that they back then we did not but uh, so I want to say that it was a little bit more of a narrow, uh, narrow vista, a narrow field on, um, and people were basing their their views on the very limited things like newspapers, physical paper newspapers, and yeah. that's it. Maybe television, <laughs> and that's it, and nothing beyond. There was no such thing as YouTube and <laughs> yeah. no uh, Instagram or Facebook <laughs> back then. No, yeah. I always say that's the good thing about social media, that I know it's got its downsides, but I think it is so good that you can learn about so many different people from all around the world with different backgrounds and different stories. Yeah. And, and it's so easy to access yeah. so many different people. I think it's a wonderful thing. I know there are down, like downsides to social media, but I think overall it's an amazing way to learn about the world. Even if you can't you know, afford to travel, you don't want to travel, you can still... Yeah find out about these people without and kind of open your mindset a bit more rather than being like this person's looks this way therefore they should do this certain thing or I couldn't agree more it is such a it just opens everybody's eyes to so much and uh and as as you guys have also uh learnt over social media and Instagram in particular how powerful it can be as a vehicle to convey whether it's branding you know you do some fantastic work for warrior flow school and the foundation and so when you see that it doesn't matter what time zone you're in it doesn't matter what geographical location you're in but you can bridge those um the so-called borders and you can you know uh, reach so many hearts and minds through your yeah. messaging mm-hmm. of course as as you said there's the downsides of it, uh, the internet and the uh, the negative aspects of of competition and and addiction to the to the internet but and to instagram uh but i do have to say that you know when you post something uh with uh, sincerity and with intention then it's wild how many people come back to you with their, mm. you know, DMs or their uh, private messages and, and posts and comments saying how your messaging has touched their hearts and how it's affected their training or their practices. And you then realise, wow, this is a, an, an incredible, powerful yeah. medium. And so I couldn't agree with, mm. more with you, Rosie. It is, it's, if we can harness it in the right way, I think, yeah, it is yeah. a, it's <laughs> yeah. an important uh, mm means to to send messages yeah yeah it's it's very interesting because 
I feel like the Yanti that mm. I know <laughs> is, well, is a businesswoman who was on an owner of a yoga studio in New York, yeah. but also like a yogi, calm person mm-hmm. that I think look after herself and things like that. And mm-hmm. I feel like this is quite of the opposite of what I would think about of a lawyer. A lawyer is someone running around working 15 hours a day or even more than that. Uh, I feel like the law firm world is kind of like full of it's got the cliche of being sharks, right? Like it's like all mm-hmm. about making as much money as you can. Like I, I'm, I'm throwing cliche, but I feel it's... Yeah. Were you a very different person at the time? I uh, was. Actually, that's <laughs> so, so observant of you. <laughs> I don't necessarily like the person I was back then. Because <laughs> I feel the values of a law firm and the value of a yogi seems different. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, it's a really great point because people say the same thing. Uh, about me in terms of how do you reconcile karate and yoga? You know, they mm. seem so at odds and they seem so, you know, uh, contrasting and, and so different. But I would say I would probably give the, the same answer uh, to a question regarding um, regarding karate and, and yoga uh, and being a lawyer and yoga. Uh, first of all, I'll say that back then I was a much much more aggressive, go-getter, ambitious, materialistic type of person. And I didn't necessarily like myself back then. Uh, if I were you know, using the, the lens of today. Yeah. yeah. But I, I knew I wasn't, I wasn't uh, a happy camper because I was constantly getting ill. I had immune issues. I was, uh, every month I would get the flu. I was, I didn't have daily practices. I didn't have daily rituals that I followed that uh, followed uh, the life of the, the, the current yogini that I am. Uh, I was uh, highly stressed. I was always anxious. I was argumentative. I was combative. I was looking for a fight <laughs> and always, you know, picking arguments, you know, and sometimes I'm still like that. My husband, Richard, says, you know, oh, the lawyer comes out going for the jugular. You know, always, Richard is, uh, is British and so he says going for the jugular. And so my nickname is jugular. So <laughs> going for, you know, really going for the, the, the heart of the uh, discussion, but sometimes getting a little bit personal and, 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 uh, and, being mean, shall we say, and not very compassionate, uh, but really making the person feel uh, not so good, but winning the argument, you know, and it was mm. all about winning the argument mm. uh, because that was the life of the, the, the law and uh, being a lawyer and if you wanted to be successful and if you wanted to do well and make your monthly, you know, goals, then that's the way you had to be and there was no other um, way out. Uh, in those days, you didn't have corporate wellness you didn't have you know the Hmm. the uh, enlightened programs that you do have today in the corporate context where everyone's welfare and mental uh mental health is is taken care of we we didn't have that back then so i became quite sick i got type 2 diabetes and i i had a quite a journey i must say i made the realization that things had to change and that's sort of the initiation of why I considered other uh, career paths and why I ultimately decided to transition into where I am today because Mm. of health, wellness, and just not being a person that was very likable. And I remember a very uh, 
uh, one of the stories that stands out for me uh, when I was in working at the, it was sort of the height of my career. We um, were doing deals around the clock. You know, we worked 24 hours and you know how they used to say in the, you know, there was a movie, I think it was a, some Wall Street movie that said, you know, lunch is for wimps. So you didn't have lunch yeah. and you, you you worked around the clock, as I said, and you and you didn't sleep some nights, and you just worked on the documentation or whatever projects that you had to work on. And mm-hmm. I remember there was a colleague who had a heart attack and sadly ultimately passed away, but we did not skip a beat. We just continued oh, wow. with our deadlines and our you know milestones mm-hmm. that we had to meet in order to to please the clients. And it was something I could not believe was the ethos. At the time, within the within the uh, the environment of the law firm, mm. and it was just really very, very uh, a sad comment on how yeah. intense and crazy that life was. And I knew at a certain point I had an existential crisis, and I said, "Stop! You know, something has to change, and there's something wrong with this picture." And that's when I I uh, decided to to make a a pivot, shall we say. And I started mm. researching other options. And, you know, it's it, unfortunately, it, it takes a crisis. It takes a situation where you're pushed into a decision to make the change because if you do not, then you go down this slippery slope into, yeah. uh, in, into yeah. I want to say hell. <laughs> a dark place. A, dark, <laughs> a very dark place, yeah. Yeah. Nicely mm. put, yeah. but um, but that's uh, that's how I I started to reconsider things when I got mm. really bad, and I realized no no this is not me, this is not me, and then I was searching for more meaning, and as I and I realized that one of my strong points was uh, community building, and uh, mm. that I had uh, I had a, a, a skill if you like or a talent for uh, joint ventures, so I would bring parties together to. Um, yeah, whether they were foreign parties, Western parties, or uh, corporates with local Indonesian parties, but I would bring these um, clients together in order to uh, build joint venture agreements and technical transference, they used to call it. Uh, and and I, I knew that I wanted ultimately be, to be doing something that brought understanding and, and meaning to where people had a, a so-called meeting of minds and yeah. there was, you know, a, more of a um, collaborative slash cooperative aspect to mm-hmm. the work versus uh, being adversarial and being, you know, always uh, argumentative and fighting over things. So mm-hmm. I knew that there was, that that was, was an element that I, I wanted to, to uh, take advantage of and, uh, and work on in my next phase, if you like. So, um, yeah, and, and that's what I, I did later down the track uh, with building a studio and building a community pre-COVID from, you know, it was 2008 right through to 2019. And, and I didn't really look back after that. And I really felt like I, I'd found my so-called meaning and I, my truth and what's the word? Congruence or another mm-hmm. word for, you know, authenticity where I felt like, yes, these were my abilities, these were my talents, these were my skills, and they converged, and I was able to really express those those skills every day. And and mm. then you then you feel fulfilled. You feel that you found your um, so-called 
uh, truth and meaning and, and you're actually, you know, helping and serving a lot of people. And that, you know, comes to the, the, the yogic concept of seva. And I was thinking, you know, everything I do, I really feel fantastic if there's a service element. And that's also part of the reason why I'm super excited to be working with Warrior Flow School, uh, because there's just a, not only is it, uh, it, is it innovative, but it's, there's a disruptive aspect to what the school uh, represents in terms of bringing in these lesser uh, uh, marginalized and, and um, so-called disenfranchised aspects of our community that need to their voices need to be heard they need to be catered for they need to be need to be uh, uh, their their stories need to be to be uh, listened to and so what better way um, to than to to bring it together in a, a form of a foundation but also in the form of a the the school and the teacher trainings and the various um, courses that warrior flow offers so um, yeah it the, again it just speaks to uh, my uh, skills, but also my, you know, ultimate hopes for, you know, living yeah. a so-called contented life, you know. Uh, yeah. <laughs> so. Oh, yeah. So it's, what I find really fascinating is that, so you, let's say that you were this person, right, mm. in the first chapter yeah. of your life and of your career. Mm. And, and then you went through changes you learn how to look after yourself and to change some of your core values and stuff like Mm -hmm. that. But I love that there's still this ambitious entrepreneurial woman Mm -hmm. behind that. Like, I'm not just going to become a yogini. I'm also going to create a yoga studio in New York. Yeah. Because I can. (laughs) Uh, I think that's really cool also, you know, like you, you, there's still this drive of Mm. like, I want to achieve stuff, right? I can do big things if i want to there's that drive and you know uh, it sort of picks up on what you guys were saying earlier about um i think it was was it you jeremy you said something about you know how do you how do you balance out the so-called yin with the yang the the yeah. power the ambition from the the lawyer side of me and the yogini uh, calm and zen aspects of how I try to run my <laughs> daily life and, yeah. and you know, how you incorporate it in, into your daily rituals and practices. But uh, I think we, uh, the way I look at it in the yin-yang uh, concept is that we're, we're both, and you can't see them as separate. I think there's, there's you know, in the symbol of the yin and the yang, there's, a, um, there's an enclosure and an encapsulation yeah. and an integration of both of the so-called extremes and the where the, the high, the low, the the celestial, terrestrial, the, the compression, the expansion, all of the extremes, the black, the white, we are all of those things. And I feel that, that, mm. that it's not a contradiction. Coming back to your point about uh, karate versus yoga, or maybe it was my point, but the karate yoga thing is that, you know, you've got in yoga all of or many, many of the asanas refer to saints or sages or warriors. So you've got warrior Virabhadrasana, one, two, three. You've got all the references to to asana being named after saints and sages. But, you know, those saints and sages were also princes and warriors. Yeah. And so we that's why I feel, you know, when you look at the Bhagavad Gita, for example, that is about a battlefield. You know, it's about a, you know, uh, a 
a family feud and it's about warring, warring factions. And so not only do we have those supposedly warring factions within us, but we also, uh, in, in this age and in this climate, we're having so much, uh, com- so many competitive aspects um, politically, economically, socially, all of that, we're struggling. So I guess my point is that we should embrace that struggle and accept it as part Mm. of who we are, these contrasts and these seeming contradictions. And we should accept that in Mm. our daily lives we have these obstacles and setbacks that we have to know how to handle every day. And this is where the yoga comes in. This is where my karate um, principles also come in. But, you know, knowing how to fight doesn't mean you're going to use that force. You know, it's. Yeah. I think the wisdom and the beauty of it comes in the fact that we know how to fight. I certainly know how to fight because of the martial arts training I've, I've had. But do I use it? I have to choose when do I use it, you know, and that's where the wisdom mm. comes in. Uh, mm. And so this is an interesting uh dichotomy if you like but it it's, doesn't have to be a contradiction is my point so um, um, yeah. yeah I like that I like that yeah. a lot because I think very often in life we are told that we should be either black or white mm. in a way yeah. right we should be here yeah. or there we should be left or right mm-hmm. we should be I don't know you know politic democrat or republican you have mm-hmm. to be you have to pick a side mm-hmm. pretty much every time mm-hmm. in whatever you do where yeah we are living contradictions mm-hmm. we are multifaceted human beings mm-hmm, yeah. we can like sports and classical music i don't know like we, you know we can like yeah, very seeming, seeming, different you know, things control. yeah, yeah, yeah. We, I like you, that. you you can you can love like hard rock music and do yoga yeah like you you totally. know you, you can be yeah we can we are multifaceted human beings but very often in society we have to hide some aspects of us mm-hmm. because it's not politically correct mm-hmm. or it's not mm-hmm. aligned to your job. I don't know if you do this certain job, you should not be seeing those people or you, you should not have a tattoo if you have this kind of job, I, you know, Crazy, like yeah. stuff like mm-hmm. that. It's like, which makes no sense. Mm-hmm. Those are uh, rules that we created as society, but they have no really true meaning mm-hmm. and they don't really bring anything positive. Like we should be more, embracing end rather than or mm. in a way mm. yeah i, I yeah. can be that ender rather than that order yeah part of that too is this idea and i've been working uh on this concept myself because i don't want to be that monster who is quick to judge or quick to mm. criticize and not to accept uh but i've been working on it myself and i've been working on it with some of my students and my mentees who who say, what do you do when, you know, you have these arguments with family members and you come at uh, at issues from different directions and you're at the dinner table and you're constantly arguing and how do you get through that? And, uh, and I, you know, I came to the conclusion after many, many medita- meditations and meditative <laughs> reflections uh, to this concept of, and if, if you will allow me, I just wanted to read this little quotation out to you because I think it's really powerful and it's from, um, it's about bhakti yoga and it's uh, from Feuerstein who is one of the biggest, most, uh, I would say one of the, my biggest influence or one of the biggest influences I had when I was 
doing my first yoga training. But he said, to really love is a great discipline because we must love stably and consistently and regardless of whether our love is returned. We must love despite our likes and dislikes, and that is despite our ego. We must simply allow love to be a transformative force in our lives. And he says, allowing is the key. And this is the discipline of bhakti yoga. Mm. Uh, and it goes on. But uh, what I loved about this is that it speaks to tolerance. And so much of what we see in the press and what we see in the news today is about intolerance and about yeah. quick judgments, about cancelling and about non-acceptance. And I think that what we need to remind ourselves of is that we can coexist. We can have these as within ourselves. So as we discussed earlier, the contradictions, seeming contradictions within us, the um, the light, the dark, the, you know, the so-called yin-yang. But in the context of our interrelationships, we can still be tolerant of all those people we may not agree with. We yeah. might despise and we might hate from a political perspective, but we have to accept that they exist as part of our wider landscape, as part of the world as it is. Instead of trying to cancel something, can we look below the surface and can we analyze what it is that is driving those other people with different motivations, with different political leanings or different, um, let's say, trauma even. You know, when you look at their their backstory or their childhood story, so much can be re revealed if you bother to stop and think, okay, what's behind that? Mm -hmm. Before we suddenly go to judgment, we go to criticism and we go say, no, this person doesn't deserve our ears and we shouldn't listen to anything they say. So I wonder whether we can learn something from this Forestine quote because um, there's just so much that is, uh, you know, everyone's quick to jump to yeah. no, yeah, an yeah. argument and to a fight before listening and actively listening and using compassion, using kindness and, and uh, empathy. To, to understand both or, or many, many multiple sides to an argument, you know. Yeah. I think there's a lack of intellectual rigor. There's lack of empathy rigor, if you want to call it that, uh, these days. And we have to be very careful about that, especially if we say, we claim we are yogis and yoginis and that we are tolerant beings and that we are practicing our yoga and that we're living our yoga. So, Yeah. I think that's yeah. something that we that we have to, uh, I think, stop and and, yeah. and question ourselves mm. on. Yeah. Right. Is there, is there something that I've learned? Is that I know, like, I'm, I've changed a lot, <laughs> but something that I realize is uh, I've always tried to understand things. Mm. I'm like very scientific minded like i mm -hmm. need to understand things i need to be proven by a plus b you know why this yeah. is the case <laughs> that's yeah, the yeah. way my brain works mm -hmm. and i've always been very like if i don't understand it then i can't accept it you yeah know, yeah this kind mm -hmm. of thing and and i'm i'm the more i talk to people the more i talk to people also with different backgrounds and different stories that are very different than mine it's like i don't need to try to understand to just accept, like, you know, be who you are, even mm -hmm. if it doesn't make sense to me, mm -hmm. 
it, it doesn't matter. I don't yeah. need to accept it, right? I don't need to understand it. As long, you know, I just have to be respectful and accept mm -hmm. who you are. And if it doesn't make sense, it doesn't make sense in my head. And it mm -hmm. doesn't have to, right? Ultimately, mm -hmm. that doesn't matter because mm -hmm. that's just me. Mm -hmm. And it's not about me. It's about what you want to be and stuff like that. And well, yeah, I, I don't know, that's, like that's... Yeah. I mean, coming. that's a great example <laughs> of uh, the Feuerstein quote. It's the allowing yeah. and it's the allowance and the tolerance and, and put aside your own biases, put aside your dislikes and likes and see if we can just allow, uh, uh, allow is his word, right? Allow mm. and yeah. accept that people are going to have different backgrounds. People are coming back to the idea of, uh, you know, I look different and people did, pff, they didn't quite understand. Okay. So why has she got a, um, English accent or why can she speak? good English and so yeah. people are quick to judge and quick to make assumptions about okay if she's like this and this and this then she has these political affiliations mm. or these you know viewpoints and so yeah. it is a little bit of a jump and what if I'm just me and I look at things on a case by case you know and I, I'm not uh, you know one extreme politically or the other extreme politically Where, what if I was somewhere in the middle or I looked at political platforms based on issues or you know whatever i don't know i'm not yeah. saying i am no, but no, you know no, but yeah. Yeah. you know what i'm saying that you that you, i think we deserve to be uh not to be put into uh immediately put into uh pigeonholes yeah yeah i think another thing that's coming up for me is that like throughout our travels and talking to lots of different people is that you can always find something in common yeah. with somebody who's the exact opposite of you. Yeah, yeah. Someone who has grown up in a completely different environment, has completely different morals and values and likes and dislikes. You'll always find something in common and something that you can talk about and something you can connect with. And I think mm -hmm. it's just a case of finding out what that is and mm -hmm. being open to discussion and like learning about people before, like you said, closing them off and judging who they are. Yeah, yeah. You can always find something that you can connect with, I think, and... Mm. Yeah. yeah. If only everyone knew that, <laughs> that yeah. we could all connect via something and just make that happen. But Oh, it's a it's yeah. a fantastic example, Rosie, because, you know, a, a friend of mine told me a story recently where she was um she was in a context where she was in a meeting room with uh I won't say who it was, but it let's say it was a, a very, very famous uh, political person, uh political mm. leader. And she didn't know because it was a an associate of her husband. So she was in this context. It, uh, um, granted, it was a social situation, but she mm -hmm. was um, she was obliged to uh, make small talk, and she didn't know, okay, so how am I going to talk to this person? Because <laughs> I have nothing really in common with this person. Mm. But she bonded with him on the issue of animals because both of them were animal lovers and she was you know she ran a shelter or runs a shelter and has uh, a, a quite a deep knowledge about how to run a business of that type and you know she's talking about the breeds and about vaccinations and about the veterinary aspect of of running such a business and then this uh, political leader also a great great animal lover and there was the connection there was the bonding point and mm. you know look at them on paper and you see well they have nothing in common <laughs> but they were yeah. able to find a, uh, a, a, a something that they shared and they were both really passionate about so mm. you know great example Rosie of uh, coming from a different ends of the world and different possibly political uh, affiliations or alliances and yet 
you will still find you can find something that you can bond yeah. on, and I believe that that's the case with all of us, for sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So the the last thing I wanted to to talk to you about before we wrap up the episode is you. I've come to learn in the in the last few weeks, to be honest, that you are very generous of your time in terms of helping others mm-hmm. and and empowering others and especially women. Mm-hmm. You 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 do different things uh, to to help many women around the world. Can you tell us a little bit about where, like, what is it that you do exactly, and where is this desire passion of you coming from? Um, thank you. That's a, that's a, uh, one of my passions is to advocate for women's issues. And the way that it first started was actually in COVID in 2020. I realized that uh, one of the means of communication was going to be Zoom and it was going to be FaceTime and it was going to be using uh, technology. And even though I'm actually not very techie, but I, I, I still, you know, I use the basics, which is knowing how to use Zoom and just uh, getting my head around it and all the updates. But because uh, the updates always come when you're just about to go into an important meeting. But, <laughs> yeah. uh, but uh, I learned how to do those basic tech skills during COVID. And I also knew that there were women who were in uh, domestic situations where they were not necessarily uh, comfortable because you're spending, uh, by definition, in lockdown, we were spending hours and, you know, days and and days of our week and then therefore months and that went into years uh with people that we weren't necessarily necessarily always uh comfortable spending time with mm. and these can happen to be you know family members in some cases and so there the the issue of uh, domestic abuse came up and uh it arose with and i'm talking about women around the, the globe who are part of uh, my husband and I run a, uh, a karate organization and what happened is that I'd reach out to people using Zoom or using um, the, the cell phone during using FaceTime and we would give opportunities for people to just, you know, share. And these, this is how the stories arose and, and this is you know, fast forward, this is how I came to share this this uh, with Adrian and Dennis and how I started to be committed more to understanding about trauma and trauma-informed yoga. And it was a big inspiration because it happened at the same time. I was doing trainings with Dennis and Adrian. And then I realized, you know, this is a need where women need to be able to express what's happening at home and what's perhaps happening in the training situation in the dojos around the world. And, um, you know, I just get stories. Some of them are very current and some of them are happening in real time. Some of them were past stories. So there were uh, mm. stories and, and experiences that may have happened during childhood. They may have been happening through early adulthood, so the, through the teen, teen years, but also through, you know, their 20s and 30s. And so we experienced a, a sharing. And... Uh, and then I realized, wow, this is something real and this is something in, uh, very important to take on as a, a kind of pet project. And the pet project became a kind of a real project and I called it the, wrongly or rightly, I called it the Women's Leadership Group. And, uh, and we have over 110 women, I think, now today who are involved in this particular um, 
uh, I want to say it's a group, but it's it's just an exchange on a, it's a private Facebook page. But it's so much more than that because yeah. a lot happens on WhatsApp, a lot happens on text, a lot happens on email. But what the group did was it gave women permission to share more of their mental health, the state of their mental health. And uh, and there I saw the, con- the pot- potential convergence of yoga and karate as a therapy and as a uh, as a resource to find ways of towards healing. Hmm. And so we had to have this acknowledgement and recognition that there was a problem. And I had to advocate for the women to say, no, no, we need we need a group like this because as hmm. as well meaning and sincere as my male colleagues are and were at the time. They said, well, why do we need a separate group for women? Well, I don't get it. Why? And then I told them, this is why, you know. Mm. And so I, I gave on an anecdotal basis what was going on in the DMs and what was happening in, uh, on emails and people texting me and sharing and then just asking, please don't share it with anybody else. I just want to offload, but I want to share this and I want you to know that the, the, the women's group is, uh, I'm really grateful that you, it's it's worth it to, to put it together yeah. and it is something we need so please don't don't uh, don't think that no one's listening uh and so that's how it kind of grew into a little bit bigger i'm hoping that we'll be able to organize some events possibly some joint events with um, more of them next year but yeah little by little step by step and i've always said baby steps because you know to um to bat to be a what is expression i'm looking for the uh to 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 um, to be a barrage or to, to uh, have there um, be an onslaught of information or pushing people to come on, hurry up, tell me your experience. You can't be like that. You have to yeah. be so yeah. patient and so um, still and, and, um, and in the moment. And if something comes of a conversation, great. If it doesn't, maybe it's for next time because – some of this is, as we all know, is um, is deeply, deeply held trauma. So yeah. you have to win people's trust. You have to win people's uh, confidence. And and over time, uh, you'll see the the sharing that ha- that can happen, but it's not an overnight thing. And therefore, it's taken since twenty twenty to the current time i want to say that we've built up a very strong very um supportive um comforting group that is uh that is i think ready to make some changes and to to have their voices heard and um it is uh it's a it's a you know you have to look at it as uh as a long-term project and not that i'm always looking for immediate results i'm not but I, uh, you know, there's a there's a danger for us to say, well, what are the results? And I, and I have to report back to my colleagues, you know, what what are the tangibles? And as you said earlier, Jeremy, you know, you want research, you want data, you want, you know, facts. And I do myself. I'm, I'm like that as well. And I want that. But how do you quantify some of the, the anecdotes? How do you quantify all of this? And how can we make it a, um, a rich resource that, uh, that people within the group can use, but also others outside our group can recognize as being uh, a, a very big, uh, uh, it's a movement, I want to say. It's, it's not just advocating for needs, but it's, 
it's you know we, we're seeing all the issues arise out of women's soccer women's gymnastics we're also seeing now in the tennis world where I don't know whether you saw the recent videos about uh, coaches and and parents yeah. who beat up some of the young tennis uh, pros and then you've also got it in uh, in the karate world you know some abuses that arose in the news uh, last year and also this year um, some uh, predators who are coming to trial and are going to be, uh, we'll see, uh, convicted of their abuses. And uh, and so this is topical. This is compelling. This is happening. And we cannot ignore it. And, uh, and in many cases, the perpetrators are actual trauma victims themselves. So what can we do on that front? Mm. Uh, so mm. that's a little bit about that. Thank mm. you for asking that question because I think it's a really – it's a it's an important uh, thing that came out of COVID, yeah. you know. Yes, yeah. it's very important work that you're doing. Um, I wanted to ask: is there if there's anybody who's listening who would like to join because they've experienced this as well? Is there a way to join or to kind of connect with you and feel supported in that way as well? That's a really nice question. Thank you, Rosie. Uh, right now, uh, the group is actually closed to the members of the karate organization, and we do that yeah. only because. People have shared a lot of intimate detail uh, and yeah. they're, they don't really want it to be shared beyond that. However, yeah. that is a, a, your question is a very, very good question and that I really do appreciate it because it's prompted me to think that, uh, because many people have asked to join as well that are not necessarily related to karate but who have uh, undergone or experienced, you know, abuses and harassments, whether it's sexual, emotional and physical and beyond, you know, all mm. kinds of, of abuses. Yeah. So uh, I have been asked, you know, what, what do we do if we want to join your group? And I am being now prompted to consider putting something a little bit more uh, wider in scope. That doesn't, doesn't mean that mm. you have to be a karate person. You don't have to. Mm. Um, and so this is, uh, yeah, this is something I'm just on the brink of, of looking at because uh, it is such a, a, a global thing and it's, uh, it just it crosses so many sort of realms and so many sectors. So, yeah. Um, so and, to answer your question, I didn't really answer your question, and, yeah. but if, you, if they want to, <laughs> they can, uh, and I'll give you my email address, they can reach out to me on email and I'll keep them apprised and mm. updated on all of our upcoming events and uh, and what we're going to do to bring the, the message out to a wider, wider audience. So, yeah. Yeah, because I think that's the thing, is it ha- like... I mean, like you said, it happens in so many different communities and age groups and race. It like just, you know, there's so many people that are affected yeah. by it. Um, but no, it's amazing that you're doing. You know what you're doing is already incredible. So, thank yeah. you. Yeah. Well done, you. No, hey. yeah. Thank you. <laughs> it's good. No, thank you so much, Yanti. It's been honestly a, a pleasure to talk to you, and it's been a pleasure also to collaborate with you for the past couple of years. Oh uh, no, great so pleasure I'm, to I'm, know I'm... you guys as well, and I really. Hope- I'm very excited that we can meet in person yeah, yeah. soon, yeah. <laughs> yeah. That would be amazing. Yeah, yeah. Uh, we got one last question before we close the episode. Mm-hmm. It's a question that we ask everybody on the okay. podcast. So if you could have a conversation with anybody dead or mm-hmm. alive, famous or not mm-hmm. famous, who you think would be the most interesting person to talk to, who would you pick mm-hmm. and why? First, first one coming to your head. 
Yeah. Um, I know it sounds probably sounds a little bit cliche, but the first one that comes to mind is Nelson Mandela. And I say Nelson Mandela because of his leadership qualities, his uh, talking about struggles before. We were talking about how he was able to translate struggles into a positive because during his incarceration, he was the, one of the most Zen yogis that I could ever, you know, <laughs> cite because he was able to translate all of those uh, negatives, shall we say, into something profoundly positive. And uh, I will always look to him as, a, as an uh, example or a role model because even though we go through every week, every day, we've got these niggling um issues or, or uh, obstacles that we have to um, address and solve every day, every week, that they're nothing compared to what Nelson Mandela went through, mm. if you think about his uh, political struggles and the, the, yeah. the personal struggles. Uh, and uh, it really takes uh, a lot of inner strength, I think, for someone who's not a yogi. Uh, it's just, I think he's a saint. And I, I just get a lot of... Uh, a lot of strength from looking at his life and uh, what he went through. Um, so him, and then, of course, there's another guy, Viktor Frankl, who wrote um, oh, yeah. the, uh, the Man in Search, of Man's Search for Meaning. Yeah. Uh, similar similar idea, uh, similar yeah. idea in the sense that he was incarcerated and he was in a concentration camp for so long, and yet out of that came this very uh, enlightened and very evolved way of looking at life and life struggles and our lot as human beings. So, uh, so yeah, I would say first and foremost Nelson Mandela, yeah. and then uh, if I had a second choice, it would be <laughs> it would be Victor Frankl. Yeah, and I highly recommend uh, uh, Nelson Mandela's biography, A Long yeah. Way to Freedom. It's it's uh, a big book, but it's, but it's incredible, 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 yeah. and worth every page. Yes, absolutely. yeah, it is. Yeah, yeah, so, yeah. so nice. Thank yeah. you. Thank you so much, Yanti, for oh, your time. Thank you, guys. Uh, I really Amazing. appreciate it and really enjoyed this conversation with you. I will link your contact, your Instagram account in the show notes so people can reach okay. out to you if mm-hmm. they have any question and, and, and mm-hmm. see everything that you do. But yeah, thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you so much, Rosie. Bye, Jeremy. Yes, thank you so much. Thank you for everybody listening on any pla- podcast platforms. Thank you for watching on YouTube. And we'll be back next Wednesday with a brand new episode. Thank you so much, Yanti. Bye. Thank you. Bye. Bye.